Section 30, Introduction. We now begin seven revelations to various individuals. All of these were given immediately after the three-day conference, the last of September, but before the elders had left Fayette, New York, where the conference was held. One of the most fascinating experiences for new converts to the church was watching the prophet Joseph Smith while he was receiving a revelation. They were all aware that he was lacking in formal education, and yet when the spirit of revelation came over him, he often assumed a new personality of profound expression and sublime biblical style of speech. When young Parley P. Pratt returned from converting his brother Orson, he had his first opportunity to watch Joseph Smith in a series of inspired revelatory manifestations. In a sense, this was an objective scientific opportunity to observe an authentic prophet at work. Here is the way Parley P. Pratt describes what he saw and heard. Quote, Each sentence was uttered slowly and very distinctly, and with a pause between each sufficiently long for it to be recorded by an ordinary writer in longhand. This was the manner in which all his written revelations were dictated and written. There was never any hesitation, reviewing, or reading back in order to keep the run of the subject. Neither did any of these communications undergo revisions, interlining, or corrections. As he dictated, so they stood, so far as I have witnessed, and I was present to witness the dictation of several communications of several pages each. Unquote. This is in the Doctrine and Covenants Compendium by Sidney B. Sperry, page 27. Brigham Young saw Joseph Smith wrapped in the inspired revelatory spirit probably as much as any living being. Here is how he describes it. Quote, Those who were acquainted with him knew when the spirit of revelation was upon him, for his countenance wore an expression peculiar to himself while under that influence. He preached by the spirit of revelation, and he taught in counsel by it. And those who were acquainted with him could discover it at once, for at such times there was a peculiar clearness and transparency in his face." Unquote. Now, this is found also in the Doctrine and Covenants Compendium, pages 27 to 28. Now let us go back to September 26, 1830, when Joseph Smith was troubled by some foreign spirits which seemed to be hovering over the church. Many were troubled by revelations being received by Hiram Page, and they wondered what Joseph would have to say about them. The prophet writes, quote, At length our conference assembled. The subject of the stone previously mentioned was discussed, and after considerable investigation, Brother Page, as well as the whole church who were present, renounced the said stone and all things connected therewith, much to our mutual satisfaction and happiness. Unquote. Now this is from the Church History, Volume 1, page 133. The first revelation Joseph received before the elders dispersed was addressed to three of the Whitmer brothers in whose log cabin this conference had been held. Uh, David Whitmer was one of the three witnesses to the Book of Mormon, but the qualities mentioned in this revelation ultimately took him out of the church. Behold, I say unto you, David, 
that you have feared man and have not relied on me for strength as you ought, but your mind has been on the things of the earth more than on the things of me, your Maker, and the ministry whereunto you have been called. And you have not given heed unto my spirit and to those who were set over you, but have been persuaded by those whom I have not commanded. Leaders of the church must be sensitive to the whisperings of the Spirit. Otherwise, they wander off by themselves and lose the inspiration they need to fulfill the will of the Lord. Wherefore, you are left to inquire for yourself at my hand and ponder upon the things which you have received. And your home shall be at your father's house until I give unto you further commandments. And you shall attend to the ministry in the church and before the world and in the regions round about. Amen. While others were being sent off on missions, the Lord wanted David to stay at home with his father and help build up the Fayette branch of the church. The Lord is obviously unhappy with David Whitmer, who had become a law unto himself rather than letting the Spirit guide him. As a result, the Lord is going to let him ponder the things he has already received and work them out for himself. Behold, I say unto you, Peter, that you shall take your journey with your brother Oliver. For the time has come that it is expedient in me that you shall open your mouth to declare my gospel. Therefore fear not, but give heed unto the words and advice of your brother which he shall give you. It must have been like salt in an open wound to have David's younger brother sent on a mission to the Lamanites with Oliver Cowdery. Peter is told that on this mission he is to listen to the counsel of his brother-in-law, Oliver Cowdery. And be you afflicted in all his afflictions, ever lifting up your heart unto me in prayer and faith for his and your deliverance. For I have given unto him power to build up my church among the Lamanites. The Lord was well aware that the winter journey they were about to take across a thousand miles of wilderness was going to involve numerous afflictions. Nevertheless, the Lord said they would be blessed with the ability to establish the church among the Lamanites on the frontier of the United States. And none have I appointed to be his counselor over him in the church concerning church matters, except it is his brother, Joseph Smith, Jr. Wherefore, give heed unto these things, and be diligent in keeping my commandments, and you shall be blessed unto eternal life. Amen. In these early years of the church organization, it was sometimes difficult to maintain the ranks of priesthood discipline. The young Whitmers were strong-willed, and the Lord therefore emphasized to Peter that Oliver Cowdery is in charge of this expedition, and no one is ranked above him except Joseph Smith. Behold, I say unto you, my servant John, that thou shalt commence from this time forth to proclaim my gospel as with the voice of a trump. It was the purpose of the Lord to get all of the newly ordained elders active in preaching the gospel. There was a tendency for some of them to feel timid, and therefore the Lord emphasized the need to, quote, proclaim my gospel with the voice of a trump, unquote. And your labor shall be at your brother Philip Burroughs, and in that region round about, yea, wherever you can be heard, 
until I command you to go from hence. The Lord directs Peter to concentrate on his missionary work with Philip Burroughs and the neighborhood in his vicinity. Peter is told to labor in Zion or among the members of the church until he is instructed to labor elsewhere. The Lord once more emphasizes the need for Peter to overcome his timidity and not be afraid of men. And your whole labor shall be in Zion with all your soul from henceforth, yea, you shall ever open your mouth in my cause, not fearing what man can do, for I am with you. Amen. Section 31. Introduction. The next individual to receive a revelation was Thomas B. Marsh. It was given at Fayette the latter part of September 1830 before the elders had dispersed from the conference. Thomas was born in Massachusetts, November the 1st, 1799. He married Elizabeth Godkin in 1920 and then went into the grocery business. He later moved west and met Martin Harris at the printing office in Palmyra. There he begged the proof sheets of the first 16 pages of the Book of Mormon. Then he met Oliver Cowdery and remained with him two days. From Oliver, he learned the intimate details of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. Returning to his home in Boston, he kept up a correspondence with the prophet and Oliver Cowdery for many months. It was through this correspondence that he learned about the plans for the organization of the church and the second conference in September 1830. He was finally successful in moving to Palmyra and was baptized by David Whitmer. A few days later, he was ordained an elder by Oliver Cowdery, and after the conference, he received this revelation. Here is the text of section 31. Thomas, my son, blessed are you because of your faith in my work. Behold, you have had many afflictions because of your family. Nevertheless, I will bless you and your family, yea, your little ones, and the day cometh that they will believe and know the truth and be one with you in my church. This revelation was a great comfort to Thomas B. Marsh. Lift up your heart and rejoice, for the hour of your mission is come, and your tongue shall be loosed, and you shall declare glad tidings of great joy unto this generation. You shall declare the things which have been revealed to my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., you shall begin to preach from this time forth, yea, to reap in the field which is white, all ready to be burned. He could not have received a greater message than the good news that the Lord wanted him to go forth as a missionary to proclaim the wonderful gospel of the restored church. Therefore thrust in your sickle with all your soul, and your sins are forgiven you, and you shall be laden with sheaves upon your back, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Wherefore your family shall live. Behold, verily I say unto you, Go from them only for a little time, and declare my word, and I will prepare a place for them. Yea, I will open the hearts of the people, and they will receive you, and I will establish a church by your hand and you shall strengthen them and prepare them against the time when they shall be gathered. The Lord knew that Thomas B. Marsh would be a very fruitful servant for many years and establish branches of the church wherever he went. 
The Lord also knew that after becoming the president of the Quorum of the Twelve in 1835, he would become terribly jealous of Joseph Smith and try to destroy him. For this he was excommunicated and for many years remained a non-entity outside of the church. Finally, however, in deepest humiliation, he appeared in Salt Lake City and begged Brigham Young to allow him to come back into the church as an ordinary member. The plea was granted, but the church members had to support him until he died a few years later. It is interesting that even though the Lord knew in advance that some of his servants would falter or even apostatize, he always treated them as though they were in full fellowship right up to the time when they apostatized or fell. He even treated Cain as a faithful member of the priesthood until he entered into a compact with Satan and organized a secret society to slay his younger brother Abel. In fact, the Lord pleaded with Cain before the crime was committed and tried to persuade him to resist Satan's snare. And this is described in Moses chapter 5, verses 19 to 25. Be patient in afflictions. Revile not against those that revile. Govern your house in meekness and be steadfast. All of the early leaders of the church were required to undergo a tremendous amount of tribulation and often outright suffering, including the risk of their lives. Only by this means was the church able to survive. Meanwhile, the individual leaders survived only so long as they exhibited qualities of meekness and a capacity for steadfastness. As Thomas B. Marsh eventually discovered, when these attributes began to fade and fall, or so did his capacity for survival in the kingdom. Behold, I say unto you that you shall be a physician unto the church, but not unto the world, for they will not receive you. The gospel is the Lord's remedy for most of the spiritual ills of mankind. It is thought that this is the kind of physician the Lord had in mind when he said Brother Marsh would be a, quote, physician unto the church, unquote. Go your way, whithersoever I will, and it shall be given you by the Comforter what you shall do and whither you shall go. Once again the Lord was putting the responsibility on the missionary to stay in communication with the Spirit of the Lord and thereby receive strength and a continuity of instructions. Pray always lest you enter into temptation and lose your reward. Be faithful unto the end, and lo, I am with you. These words are not of man nor of men, but of me, even Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, by the will of the Father. Amen. The Lord knew the temptations would eventually rob Brother March of his glorious reward, and therefore he warned Thomas to pray mightily that he might be able to resist both jealousy and pride. Unfortunately, his temptations proved to be greater than he could handle, and he crashed. Section 32 Introduction this revelation was given to Parley P. Pratt and Ziba Peterson in early October 1830. This was just before they left on their mission to the Lamanites with Oliver Cowdery and Peter Whitmer, Jr. Parley was a former Campbellite minister from Kirtland, Ohio. He was born April 12, 1807 in Burlington, New York, 
a descendant of notable pilgrim ancestors. He obtained a copy of the Book of Mormon while traveling in western New York and was so impressed with it that he hastened to Palmyra to find out more about it. There he met Hiram Smith, and after hearing the background of Joseph Smith's marvelous revelations, he was baptized by Oliver Cowdery the 1st of September 1830 in the Seneca Lake. He was then ordained an elder. This was just a month before this revelation. In the meantime, he had proceeded eastward and baptized his younger brother, Orson Pratt. They then hurried back to Fayette so they could attend the second conference of the church. They were both excited about the mission to the Lamanites, especially Parley, who was assigned to go along. So was Ziba Peterson. They therefore asked for a revelation from Joseph Smith, and this is it. And now concerning my servant Parley P. Pratt, Behold, I say unto him that as I live, I will that he shall declare my gospel, and learn of me, and be meek and lowly of heart. It is interesting that the Savior would say that Parley's calling as a missionary was confirmed by the Lord, quote, as I live, unquote. He urged him to learn all he could about the gospel, and while doing so he should remain meek and lowly of heart. Because the Lord knew Parley would turn out to be one of the most brilliant writers and speakers in the church, he wanted Parley to remain humble. And that which I have appointed unto him is that he shall go with my servants Oliver Cowdery and Peter Whitmer, Jr. into the wilderness among the Lamanites. Parley was called on a mission by Jesus himself. He was to go with Oliver Cowdery and Peter Whitmer, Jr. in order to spread the gospel among the Lamanites. Actually, the church would not be able to spread the gospel among the Lamanites for some time, but at least they could initiate this extremely important enterprise which the Lord had promised the seed of Jacob. And Ziba Peterson also shall go with them, and I myself will go with them and be in their midst, and I am their advocate with the Father, and nothing shall prevail against them. This verse contains a thrilling promise that Ziba Peterson would also accompany the missionaries as they carried the gospel to the Lamanites. In this verse, the Lord makes the commitment that he will be in their midst and will be watching over them. The Lord reminds these missionaries that he is their advocate with the Father, and nothing would be allowed to prevail against them. During this rugged and very difficult journey, the Lord's reassurance in this verse was a great comfort and encouragement to the four long-suffering missionaries. And they shall give heed to that which is written, and pretend to no other revelation. And they shall pray always, that I may unfold the same to their understanding. The missionaries are going to take with them copies of all the revelations Joseph Smith had received thus far. They would also have a goodly supply of the precious Book of Mormon now off the press. The Lord instructed them to give heed to the things they found written in the Lord's revealed word, both ancient and modern. They must also diligently study the Bible. In fact, they would soon discover that the Old and New Testaments were the pathway to converting many of these Bible-reading Christians. 
Jesus also promised that he would be in their midst and whisper into their minds the explanation for the deeper doctrines which they would be expected to understand. And they shall give heed unto these words, and trifle not, and I will bless them. Amen. Although these instructions were brief, the Lord wanted them to follow these guidelines, which would be a great blessing unto them. Section 33. Introduction. This revelation was given at the request of Ezra Thayer and Northrop Sweet. In his Doctrine and Covenants Compendium, Dr. Sidney B. Sperry of the Brigham Young University disposes of both of these men in a rather summary fashion. He says on page 143, quote, Section 33 was given for the benefit of Ezra Thayer and Northrop Street, two men who never did much in the church or became important members of it. In fact, Northrop Street, after a short period of activity, apostatized. Unquote. Here's the text for section 33. Behold, I say unto you, my servants Ezra and Northrop, open ye your ears and hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, whose word is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, to the dividing asunder of the joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It would seem that the Lord is attempting to impress upon these two weak disciples the omnipotence of God and the fact that he can read the minds and hearts of these men. For verily, verily, I say unto you that ye are called to lift up your voices as with the sound of a trump, to declare my gospel unto a crooked and perverse generation. In this verse, the Lord proclaims the message he wants all of the missionaries to preach to a crooked and perverse generation. For behold, the field is white, all ready to harvest, and it is the eleventh hour, and the last time that I shall call laborers into my vineyard. This verse addresses the urgency of the work of the missionaries, since the field is white and the time is late. Furthermore, this is the last time the Lord will undertake to glean the righteous from the human family. And my vineyard has become corrupted every whit, and there is none which doeth good, save it be a few. And they err in many instances because of priestcrafts, all having corrupt minds. The distress of the Lord in surveying the earth is clearly manifested. Even God's vineyard is so corrupted that none doeth good except a few and they stumble and err because of false teachings of priests and ministers who have corrupted their minds. And verily, verily, I say unto you, that this church have I established and called forth out of the wilderness, and even so will I gather mine elect from the four quarters of the earth, even as many as will believe in me and hearken unto my voice. The Lord says he has restored his true church so he can gather the remnant of the elect from the four corners of the earth. Yea, verily, verily, I say unto you, that the field is white, all ready to harvest. Therefore thrust in your sickles and reap with all your might, mind, and strength. Open your mouths, and they shall be filled, and you shall become even as Nephi of old, who journeyed from Jerusalem in the wilderness. Yea, 
Open your mouths, and spare not, and you shall be laden with sheaves upon your backs. For, lo, I am with you. Yea, open your mouths, and they shall be filled, saying, Repent, repent, and prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his paths straight, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Lord then gives these two missionaries the same general call which has issued to all of those who have volunteered to preach the gospel. Yea, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for a remission of your sins. Yea, be baptized even by water, and then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. This verse is the same message as that which was proclaimed by John the Baptist. It is the promise that if they repent and accept baptism, they can receive the Holy Ghost. Behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, this is my gospel. And remember that they shall have faith in me, or they can in no wise be saved. Jesus now emphasizes the fact that unless the people have faith in Christ, they cannot be saved. The implication is that this is true even though people repent and are baptized. And upon this rock I will build my church, Yea, upon this rock ye are built, and if ye continue, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. The Lord says these four principles of faith, repentance, baptism, and receiving the Holy Ghost constitute the rock on which his restored church will be built. As long as the members of the church subscribe to these basic principles, the gates of hell cannot destroy the church. And ye shall remember the church articles and covenants to keep them. He tells these two potential missionaries that the people who make covenants with the Lord must remember the church articles and covenants and keep them. At this time the articles of faith had not been written, but they would be forthcoming, and the Lord wants the members of the church to study them and obey them. And whoso having faith you shall confirm in my church by the laying on of the hands, and I will bestow the gift of the Holy Ghost upon them. The Lord now emphasizes that after a person has believed on the Lord, repented of their sins, and then been baptized, they are to be confirmed members of the church with hands laid upon their heads to receive the Holy Ghost. This is why we confirm people members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. At the same time, we confer upon them the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Book of Mormon and the Holy Scriptures are given of me for your instruction. And the power of my Spirit quickeneth all things. The Lord wants the members of the Church to carefully study the Scriptures, especially the Book of Mormon, and rely on the Holy Ghost in order to understand this scripture. By this means, the reader gains a deeper comprehension of the gospel, since the Spirit quickens the understanding. Wherefore, be faithful, praying always, having your lamps trimmed and burning and oil with you, that you may be ready at the coming of the bridegroom. This verse is the call to members of the church to perfect their lives through prayer and study so that their lamps are trimmed and the Holy Ghost has been nurtured so that there can be oil in their lamps. Only then can they be ready for the second coming of the Savior. 
For behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, that I come quickly, even so. Amen. We must not think the Lord has delayed his coming, because all who think this will be caught unprepared when the Lord comes quickly and unexpectedly. Section 34, Introduction In various ways the Lord was attracting to the church a variety of distinguished spiritual personalities who had become mighty leaders in the new dispensation. For example, only a few weeks before, a young Campbellite preacher named Parley P. Pratt heard about the Book of Mormon and walked about 20 miles to Palmyra where he obtained a copy. He quickly began to read it, and the Spirit burned within him. He knew it was true. He then walked about three miles to the village of Manchester, where he had been told he would meet Hiram Smith, and the two spent all night talking. Hiram gave Parley the highlights of Joseph Smith's visions and how he obtained the gold plates from which the Book of Mormon was translated. They then walked about 25 miles to Fayette, where a conference of the church was soon to be held on September the 26th, 1830. Joseph Smith had not yet arrived, but on September the 1st, Parley P. Pratt was baptized by Oliver Cowdery in the Seneca Lake, and the next evening he was ordained an elder. Having been baptized and ordained an elder, Parley P. Pratt set off immediately for his home in Canaan, New York, where his wife and kinsmen lived. He taught them all the gospel, and his younger brother, Orson Pratt, immediately embraced the gospel and was baptized on his 19th birthday, September 19, 1830. As we have already mentioned, Parney then hurried to the conference at Fayette, which was scheduled for September the 26th. His brother Orson was anxious to meet the prophet also, and therefore promised to follow as soon as circumstances would permit. It was shortly after this conference that Joseph Smith received a revelation in which Parley P. Pratt was called to accompany Ziba Peterson, Oliver Cowdery, and Peter Whitmer, Jr., to take a 1,500-mile trek to the frontier and preach the gospel to the Indians. On the way, they stopped in Menden, Ohio, where the illustrious Campbellite leader Sidney Rigdon resided. He listened to the missionaries and let them talk to his congregation. Not only was Rigdon converted, but so were many of his followers. Eventually, the missionaries established three branches of the church in Ohio, one at Menden, one at nearby Kirtland, and one at Warrenville. Over 100 converts had been baptized, and many of the men had been ordained to the priesthood. One convert, a Dr. Frederick G. Williams, volunteered to accompany the four missionaries to the frontier and preach the gospel to the Lamanites. So the five missionaries set out. Meanwhile, on November the 4th, 1830, Parley's brother, Orson Pratt, had finally arrived at Fayette, New York, where he met Joseph Smith for the first time. Joseph was inspired to give a special revelation to Orson, which was as follows. My son Orson, hearken and hear, and behold what I, the Lord God, shall say unto you, even Jesus Christ, your Redeemer. Every once in a while, the Savior reminds us that when he came in the meridian of time to the Jews, 
No one knew who he was. They thought he was the king messiah, and when he failed to overthrow the Romans and make the Jews the rulers of the world, they thought he was an imposter. Before his crucifixion and resurrection, even the apostles failed to recognize Jesus in his role as the Redeemer. This is discussed in my book, The Days of the Living Christ, Volume 2, pages 708 to 713. This is what the Savior meant when he said he came as a light that, quote, shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not, unquote. Therefore, it had to be explained to the apostles after the resurrection, and later Peter explained it to a great crowd of Jews on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 of them asked for baptism. A short time later, he gave the same explanation at the temple, and 5,000 applied for baptism. The light and the life of the world, a light which shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. John 3 and 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But Jesus says in this verse that it is also true that because of his crucifixion, as many men as believed would become his sons who so loved the world that he gave his own life, that as many as would believe might become the sons of God. Wherefore you are my son, and blessed are you because you have believed, and more blessed are you because you are called of me to preach my gospel. One of the greatest blessings a person can receive is to be called by the Savior to preach the gospel. To lift up your voice as with the sound of a trump, both long and loud, and cry repentance unto a crooked and perverse generation, preparing the way of the Lord for his second coming. So Orson is called, as were the earlier elders, to cry repentance to a crooked and perverse generation. For behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, the time is soon at hand, that I shall come in a cloud with power and great glory. Orson is to keep in mind that in terms of God's time, it will be very soon that he will come in a cloud with power and great glory. And it shall be a great day at the time of my coming, for all nations shall tremble. The calamities associated with the second coming will cause every nation on the planet to tremble. But before that great day shall come, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon be turned into blood and the stars shall refuse their shining, and some shall fall, and great destructions await the wicked. So here are the physical phenomena that will make the nations tremble in fear and cry out to the Lord for mercy. Wherefore lift up your voice and spare not, for the Lord God hath spoken. Therefore prophesy, and it shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. This is why the Lord wants spokesmen who will fear no man, but proclaim the Lord's message. They must call the wicked to repentance and prophesy those things which the Holy Ghost reveals concerning the future. And if you are faithful, behold, I am with you until I come. Now the Lord emphasizes that he can only magnify and bless his disciples if they are faithful to the end. 
Many of the disciples of the latter day will find the Lord withdrawing his blessings from them because they grow weary and falter long before the end comes. And verily, verily, I say unto you, I come quickly. I am your Lord and your Redeemer. Even so. Amen. In terms of God's time, the very moment scheduled for the second coming will be very soon. Section 35, Introduction In June and again in December of 1830, Joseph Smith received a whole series of new chapters of Scripture, which were later incorporated in the Pearl of Great Price as the Book of Moses. This was a treasure of lost sacred writings the Church is still trying to fully appreciate. On December the 11th, 1830, this work was interrupted by the arrival of two new converts. They were Sidney Rigdon and Edward Partridge. They had come 300 miles to Fayette, New York, from the vicinity of Kirtland, Ohio, where they had been taught the gospel by the missionaries who were on their way to Missouri to teach the Lamanites. Kirtland had turned out to be a missionary gold mine. Around a thousand investigators were being cultivated by the missionaries, and three branches of the church had already been established in Kirtland and two nearby communities. The missionaries considered Sidney Rigdon and Edward Partridge to be particularly valuable converts. We will first consider Sidney Rigdon. He was born in St. Clair, Pennsylvania, February the 19th, 1793. At the age of 25, he joined the Baptist Church, and in 1819, he received a license to officially serve as a minister. A couple of years later, he was put in charge of a congregation in Pittsburgh, Ohio. However, he gradually became convinced that some of the doctrines of the Baptists were not scriptural especially infant baptism. He therefore resigned his position at the church and joined his brother-in-law in the tanning business. Soon after, however, he became acquainted with Alexander Campbell, the founder of the Church of the Disciples or Campbellites. Rigdon was impressed by these two men and joined with Campbell and Walter Scott to start a new fundamental religious movement. The foundation of their beliefs were faith, repentance, baptism by immersion, and adhering to righteous Christian principles. The movement became very popular, and Sidney Rigdon took over the church in Menden, Ohio, not far from Kirtland. When the missionaries to the Lamanites came into that vicinity, Parley P. Pratt, who had been converted earlier to the disciples by Rigdon, anxiously sought out his friend and gave him the good news of the Book of Mormon and the restoration of the gospel. After about two weeks carefully studying the Book of Mormon, Rigdon was converted. He was baptized by Oliver Cowdery and ordained an elder. His next goal was to meet the prophet Joseph. He took with him Edward Partridge, who was about to be baptized, but first wanted to meet Joseph Smith and, as he said, size him up before making a final decision. After reaching Fayette, they had several long discussions with Joseph Smith, and Edward Partridge was soon convinced they were talking to a prophet of God. Sidney Rigdon wanted to get started in the work himself and was anxious to have the Lord's instructions. This section was the result. 
Here is the text of section 35. Listen to the voice of the Lord your God, even Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, whose course is one eternal round, the same today as yesterday and forever. It is interesting that the Lord identifies himself in a number of places as following a course of one eternal round. In section 3, verse 2, it says his, quote, paths are straight and his course is one eternal round, unquote. Now, as we get better acquainted with our Heavenly Father, we find that each of his creations is, quote, one eternal round, unquote, and he apparently produces one round after another. I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was crucified for the sins of the world, even as many as will believe on my name, that they may become the sons of God, even one in me as I am one in the Father, as the Father is one in me, that we may be one. In this verse, the Savior introduces himself to Sidney Rigdon. Here is one of the most complete classical descriptions of the Savior to be found in any scripture. Behold, verily, verily, I say unto my servant Sidney, I have looked upon thee and thy works, I have heard thy prayers, and prepared thee for a greater work. Thou art blessed, for thou shalt do great things. Behold, thou wast sent forth, even as John, to prepare the way before me, and before Elijah which should come, and thou knewest it not. Now the Lord discloses that the large following he and Reverend Campbell had cultivated as the disciples was to prepare them for the message of the restoration of the gospel. In a sense, he was like John the Baptist, who went before the Savior to prepare the way. Before long, the sealing power of the priesthood through Elijah would bless the people in ways Sidney Rigdon and his converts never could have supposed. Thou didst baptize by water unto repentance, but they received not the Holy Ghost. But now I give unto thee a commandment, that thou shalt baptize by water, and they shall receive the Holy Ghost by the laying on of the hands, even as the apostles of old. One of the interesting things about the church of the disciples is that while they devoutly believed in baptism and immersion for the remission of sins, they knew nothing about the Holy Ghost. But now that he has the restored gospel, he can go forth rejoicing, because he knows about this fourth principle of the gospel. Even more important, he has the Lord's authority to baptize and confer the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it shall come to pass that there shall be a great work in the land, even among the Gentiles, for their folly and their abomination shall be made manifest in the eyes of all people. The Lord is anxious to do a great work, even among the unbelieving Gentiles. The brilliant mission of the restored gospel is to proclaim the pathway of righteous living and expose the hypocrisy of those Gentiles who call evil good and good evil. For I am God, and mine arm is not shortened, and I will show miracles, signs, and wonders unto all those who believe on my name. And whoso shall ask it in my name in faith, they shall cast out devils, they shall heal the sick, they shall cause the blind to receive their sight, and the deaf to hear, and the dumb to speak, 
and the lame to walk. The Lord confirms that those who follow him faithfully will indeed receive wonderful blessing. And the time speedily cometh that great things are to be shown forth unto the children of men. Looking back, we know that since the restoration of the gospel, unbelievable progress and marvelous developments have occurred. This led me to call one of my books, quote, The 5,000-Year Leap, unquote. But without faith shall not anything be shown forth except desolations upon Babylon, the same which has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. But all of these marvelous blessings of modern times do not bring happiness to people or satisfaction where they lack the faith to follow the pathway of righteous living. The wicked revel in abominations which thrive on crime, divorce, abusive children, misery, insecurity, and the most destructive wars in human history. And there are none that doeth good, except those who are ready to receive the fullness of my gospel, which I have sent forth unto this generation. The Lord knows what it takes to build a gloriously righteous, happy society, and the fullness of the gospel is the only sound foundation to achieve it. Wherefore I call upon the weak things of the world, those who are unlearned and despised, to thrash the nations by the power of my Spirit. It is amazing how the Lord uses the weak, humble, but righteous people who respond to the whisperings of the Spirit and achieve God's purposes through good works. For reasons best known to the Lord, the proud, haughty, disdainful, and sophisticated element in society do not readily qualify. And their arms shall be my arm, and I will be their shield and their buckler, and I will gird up their loins, and they shall fight manfully for me, and their enemies shall be under their feet, and I will let fall the sword in their behalf, and by the fire of mine indignation will I preserve them. It is rather amazing that even though God uses humble, teachable, obedient servants to achieve his righteous purposes, they do turn out to be successful. Nevertheless, the Lord is aware that there are certain greedy, evil, satanical forces that will seek to subjugate or destroy these humble servants of God. When this happens, the Lord intervenes because of the fire of his righteous indignation. And the poor and the meek shall have the gospel preached unto them, and they shall be looking forth for the time of my coming, for it is nigh at hand. And they shall learn the parable of the fig tree, for even now already summer is nigh. Many masterminds have no hope for humanity except in a man-made millennium of science and materialism, but God has plans to bring about the real millennium. The Lord says a righteous should already be able to see signs that it is not too far away. And I have sent forth the fullness of my gospel by the hand of my servant Joseph, and in weakness have I blessed him. And I have given unto him the keys of the mystery of those things which have been sealed, even things which were from the foundation of the world, and things which shall come from this time until the time of my coming, if he abide in me, and if not, 
another will I plant in his stead. To fulfill God's purposes, the restored gospel is now rolling forth across the earth, and a great leader has been raised up named Joseph Smith, who has been given the keys to administer the new kingdom. He has also received the keys to the mysteries of heaven, great secret which have been held back from the foundation of the world. But of course, Joseph is a frail human being. He also needs support and encouragement. But the Lord promises that Joseph will remain at the head of this dispensation until the time of the Savior's second coming, so long as he abides faithfully in the Lord. Should he falter, of course, he will be replaced. This last statement is God's answer to those who make Joseph's life miserable and even threaten to kill him because they say he is a fallen prophet. It is as though the Lord were saying, Don't worry, if he were a false prophet, I would replace him. Now the Lord begins his instruction to Sidney Rigdon, this new pillar in the kingdom that has suddenly emerged from the West. He says to Sidney Rigdon, Wherefore, watch over him that his faith fail not, and it shall be given by the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, that knoweth all things. Furthermore, he gives Sidney Rigdon a commandment and a new calling. And a commandment I give unto thee, that thou shalt write for him, and the scriptures shall be given, even as they are in mine own bosom, to the salvation of mine own elect. For they will hear my voice, and shall see me, and shall not be asleep, and shall abide the day of my coming. For they shall be purified, even as I am pure. These are exciting words. It means that God has treasures of Scripture in addition to the Book of Mormon, which he wants to have recorded, and Signy will have the privilege of doing it as these Scriptures are revealed to Joseph. Furthermore, the elect of God which are now coming into the earth will believe these Scriptures which will prepare God's covenant people for the second coming. Many of these writings which were recorded by Sidney Rigdon became a principal part of the Doctrine and Covenants. And now I say unto you, Tarry with him, and he shall journey with you. Forsake him not, and surely these things shall be fulfilled. Obviously, it is the purpose of the Lord to make these two important men missionary companions. And inasmuch as ye do not write, behold, it shall be given unto him to prophesy. And thou shalt preach my gospel, and call on the holy prophets to prove his words, as they shall be given him. The Lord said Sidney will not always be kept busy writing, and therefore he should use any spare time to search the scriptures, and find the passages which will sustain the prophecies that the Lord will reveal to Joseph. Sidney had studied the Bible intensely and would find many passages that would prove to Bible-believing Christians that this Joseph Smith was indeed a modern prophet of God. Keep all the commandments and covenants by which ye are bound, and I will cause the heavens to shake for your good and Satan shall tremble, and Zion shall rejoice upon the hills and flourish. Now the Lord pours out a monumental promise to Sidney. If he can just remain faithful, obey the commandments, and keep his sacred covenants he has made with the Lord, he will reap a mighty blessing. 
and Israel shall be saved in mine own due time, and by the keys which I have given shall they be led and no more be confounded at all. For centuries Israel has been downtrodden and confounded because she was trying to survive in an era of darkness and apostasy. Now that time of travail has passed. Israel will now be led by a great new prophet, and her redemption is nigh. The Lord then addressed this little flock and says, Lift up your hearts and be glad. Your redemption draweth nigh. Fear not, little flock. The kingdom is yours until I come. Behold, I come quickly, even so. Amen. Section 36. Introduction. Edward Partridge arrived in Fayette on December the 10th, 1830, in company with Sidney Rigdon. Sidney had already been baptized and ordained an elder, but Edward said he wanted to meet Joseph and sort of size him up before he made his final decision. He had barely met Joseph Smith when the Spirit confirmed that he was talking to a prophet of God. As the Spirit came upon him, he requested Joseph to baptize him immediately, but Joseph persuaded him to rest, and then he would take him to the Seneca Lake the following day. Brother Partridge agreed and was baptized by the prophet Joseph on December the 11th, 1830. Edward Partridge was born in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, on August 27, 1873. He was therefore 12 years older than Joseph Smith. At the age of 20, he became impressed with the doctrine of the Campbellites concerning the universal restoration, and in 1828 he joined the Campbellite Church and was living in Plainsville, Ohio. However, when the missionaries came to Kirtland on their Lamanite mission, he obtained a copy of the Book of Mormon from them. There was great excitement in northern Ohio when Sidney Rigdon, one of the founders of the Campbellite Church, became converted to the Book of Mormon. Soon afterwards, when Edward Partridge heard that Sidney had been baptized, ordained an elder, and was going to travel 300 miles to meet Joseph Smith, he asked to go along. Meeting the prophet changed his life, and he was baptized the very next day, as we have mentioned. Sidney Rigdon had asked Joseph to inquire of the Lord concerning any divine instruction he might have for him, and this was set forth in section 35. And after Edward Partridge was baptized, he requested a similar blessing for himself. Section 36 is the result. Thus saith the Lord God, the Mighty One of Israel, Behold, I say unto you, my servant Edward, that you are blessed, and your sins are forgiven you, and you are called to preach my gospel as with the voice of a trump. Notice how simple and direct the Lord is as he introduces himself to Edward Partridge. He said Edward is blessed because Jesus, the Mighty One of Israel, has forgiven him his sins. Not only that, but he has been called to preach the gospel. It is not to be done timidly, but with the voice of a trump. And I will lay my hand upon you by the hand of my servant Sidney Rigdon, and you shall receive my spirit, the Holy Ghost, even the Comforter, which shall teach you the peaceable things of the kingdom. 
It would appear that Edward Partridge had just been baptized but was not yet confirmed because he says that Sidney Rigdon will act on behalf of the Savior and confirm Edward to receive the Holy Ghost. The great blessing of the Comforter is that it will teach Edward the peaceable things of the kingdom. And you shall declare it with a loud voice, saying, Hosanna! Blessed be the name of the Most High God! As with all of the missionaries, the Lord wants Edward to publicly praise the Lord as he preaches the gospel to them. Then he sets forth the mission of all men who gain a testimony of the gospel. And now this calling and commandment give I unto you concerning all men, that as many as shall come before my servant Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith, Jr., embracing this calling and commandment, shall be ordained and sent forth to preach the everlasting gospel among the nations. All men who gain a testimony and stand before Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith to embrace their calling as missionaries of the restored church shall be ordained and officially sent forth to preach among the nations. Crying repentance, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation and come forth out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted with the flesh. And this commandment shall be given unto the elders of my church, that every man which will embrace it with singleness of heart may be ordained and sent forth, even as I have spoken. Their message is to be a very simple one, repentance, and a willingness to be ordained so as to have authority to become a mighty spokesman for the Lord. I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Wherefore, gird up your loins, and I will suddenly come to my temple. Even so. Amen. The Lord closes by confirming that it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who will suddenly come to his temple. This is the first time the Savior has mentioned the temple in any of his revelations. God's saints have always been a temple-building people, and already the Lord is thinking of one for the latter days. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to read more on the Prophet Joseph Smith, look for W. Cleon Skousen's book titled Brother Joseph at skousenlibrary.com.